Hello, everyone, and welcome to our sermon series on the book of Genesis that Jonathan Chan kicked off a couple weeks ago. My name is Dan Forrest, and I'm super excited to journey through Genesis with you. Of all the books in the Bible, I have read through Genesis more than any other book, and that is not because I've spent my entire life studying it. It's because throughout my Christian life, I have tried on a number of occasions to read through the entire Bible. And every time I've started, I've started off with the book of Genesis. And every time, I've given up partway through Exodus. So, I would get through Genesis, that's about as far as I'd get. So I've read through it many times. That's not the only reason that I'm excited to do this series with Jonathan. I'm also excited because Genesis is jam-packed with so many amazing truths that we need to hear today. In Genesis, we learn so much about God who made us, and we, may, and we learn so much about us, about who he made us to be. So, before we dig into Genesis 3 today, let's start off with a video clip from The Simpsons. Marge is, day, is daydreaming in church that Homer is Adam and she is Eve, and God has just caught them eating from the forbidden tree in the garden. So, enjoy! Mm. Mm. This could really spice up those pies I've been making. What the dickens? Oh. Eve, did you taste of the forbidden fruit? Yes, God. No, John and Eve, I think you'd better hightail it out of this garden. Let him say something. Uh, 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 I think we should see other people. You heard me, famous. You are so banished. Hey, now, let's not do anything rash. God is love, right? God, you have every right to flick me out, too. But before you... Oh, my back. So this must be that pain thing. Oh, oh yeah, definitely pain. This sucks. Things were so much better back in the garden. I'm sure God will let us return soon. I mean, how long can he hold a grudge? Forever and hmm? ever. And ever. I know this clip is over the top, but it's pretty common understanding of what happened in the garden to Adam and Eve after they disobeyed God. Well, before we read Genesis 3, let's recap what happened in Genesis 1 and 2. Jonathan did a great job of setting up our journey through Genesis, so I encourage you to watch his sermons if you haven't already. Jonathan explained how God created humanity not to be his slaves, but to flourish on our own and be fruitful. God didn't want anything from us, but instead, he blesses us so we could bless each other and bless creation by caring for the land and causing it to flourish as well. After God created everything, he rested and looked back on all his work and said, this is very good. God created a world that was shalom. Everything was perfectly connected, working together and joined together in healthy and whole relationships. God and humanity were in relationship. God would walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with each other. Humanity enjoyed a great relationship with creation, naming all the animals and working the garden effortlessly for food. And finally, humans even experienced shalom internally. There was no shame or self-loathing or fear or guilt. 
They were at peace in their own minds and in their own souls. In the middle of the garden, God had placed two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge is power, so Jonathan taught us to think of the second tree as the tree of power. God places these two trees in the garden to give Adam and Eve a choice. You can either choose life or power. If you choose life, you will be dependent on God, the giver and source of life. But if you choose power, you will be independent of God and therefore separated from life. And this brings us to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve make the choice for power. Now, before we read this story, remember what happened in the Simpsons clip and recall the feelings and emotions that you attached to this story. When I was a teenager, we were encouraged to tell our friends about Jesus and we were given tracts as ways to start that conversation. If you don't know what a tract is, a tract was typically a little cartoon booklet that explained the gospel in different ways. And gospel is another way of saying good news. The guy who made a lot of tracts was Jack Chick. And this is an example of one I remember reading as a kid. It starts off explaining what we just talked about, how God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And here he is telling them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They stare at it a while, seemingly tempted by it. Then Eve reaches for the fruit, but as you can see, the fruit has poisoned them with sin. And now they are stained and gross. God sees what they've done and what they've become, and he's disgusted. The way I was taught this as a young Christian was, God is holy, and because he is holy, he can't be in the presence of sin. So God has to build a wall between him and humanity, because holiness and sin cannot mix. Adam and Eve try to clean themselves up, but it's impossible. They are permanently stained, and even their kids are permanently stained. This is known as the doctrine of original sin. Because Adam and Eve sinned in the first place, all humans are born with the curse of sin. No matter how good we are or how hard we try, we cannot remove the stain of sin from our lives. So now consider what this tract and what the Simpsons clipped tells us about God and tells us about ourselves. God is always angry with us. God can't stand to be in our presence. God is disappointed with us. God has rejected us. We are stained, we are cursed, we're sinners, we're rejects, and we deserve to die. Well, this is what I was taught in Sunday school, and you probably were taught that too. It's referred to as the fall. The fall from grace humanity experienced when they disobeyed God. In the Simpsons clip, and in the track that I just showed you, and probably in your Sunday school, there is no good news in the fall. There's only bad news. But that's not actually what we find in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 does definitely have some bad news in it, but you might be surprised to learn that it's also overflowing with good news and grace. Let's read Genesis 3 now and discover the gospel in the fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. <laughs> okay, where the heck did this serpent come from, and why is God allowing it to tempt Eve? Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't really answer this question, so we're not going to get hung up on that for now. Instead, let's look at how Eve responds to this temptation. 
It sounds like Eve is repeating what God told them previously, but, that's, but there's actually a number of really important differences. The top section here is God's command in chapter 2, and the bottom is how Eve reinterpreted it. There are a couple of words that Eve omits right away. Free and any. God's command emphasizes his generosity. You are free to eat from any tree. God has given them great freedom and abundance of food. But by omitting these two words, Eve is downplaying God's goodness and generosity. She is fixated on the one thing God said she couldn't have instead of the many, many trees she can eat from. And instead of calling it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she calls it the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Now, this is accurate. It is in the middle of the garden, but it's not the only tree in the middle of the garden. The tree of life is also in the middle, but she's forgotten about its significance and she's elevated the tree of knowledge over it. Eve then says something that wasn't in God's original command. She adds that they are not allowed to touch it. God never said anything about touching it, only you can't eat from it. Eve here is amplifying the strictness of God's command in her mind. And finally, she questions the severity of the punishment by saying, you will die instead of you will certainly die, as God warned them. Also notice she doesn't use the more personal and intimate name, the Lord God, which in Hebrew is Yahweh Elohim, but instead she just calls him God. All these changes show that Eve is growing distrustful of her creator and is doubting his goodness and generosity towards them. Let's go to verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. This is the moment where Adam and Eve actively choose power and independence, casting life and trust in Yahweh aside. This is the moment we have all experienced time and time again in our own lives. Will we trust in Yahweh even when it doesn't seem to make sense or even seem to be in our best interest? Or do we take control of our lives and seek short-term pleasure and power for ourselves. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and ate it. Adam and Eve decided for themselves that they knew what was best for their lives, and they actively went against Yahweh's one command. Yahweh had set up a world of perfect shalom with everything connected and in healthy and whole relationships. But by choosing to go against Yahweh, unfortunately, all the other relationships became disconnected. And the first evidence of this is in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Chapter 2 ended by saying they were both naked and felt no shame. And now for the first time, they do feel shame. They are disconnected from themselves. They have inner turmoil. They are not comfortable in their own skin. They are broken on the inside. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, 
Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The sound of God walking in the garden would previously bring joy, but now it causes fear and more shame. They hide from God. And humanity's relationship with God is now broken. To this day, we still hide from God. We don't always want to hear what he has to say, because it will challenge our lives and take back our power and control. Verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adam and Eve were partners. They're supposed to be on the same team. But instead of standing up for each other, they turn against each other. Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. No one takes responsibility for their actions. No one confesses and is honest. Instead, humanity's relationship with each other is fractured. Instead of a harmonious relationship of mutual satisfaction, our relationship with others becomes one of domination and survival of the fittest. God now explains to everyone the consequences of their actions. This is often referred to as God judging them, but as I read it, it seems more like God is explaining what's what now. This is what you've done, and naturally this is how it's changed things. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Here's another example of the breakdown in relationship. God isn't saying, I now give your husband permission to rule over you. Instead, he's saying, because your relationship with your husband is broken, you'll find that there's an unhealthy balance now. This isn't the design I had for you. I designed partnership, not dominance. But that's what you've chosen. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. With these pronouncements, we see the fourth relationship broken, the relationship with creation. Now there is animosity between animals and humans, no more peace and shalom, but fear and survival. Within our created bodies, there is now pain, especially pain for women in childbirth. The ground is cursed, and instead of enjoying work, it becomes toil and sweat. Our relationship with animals, with our bodies, and with the planet are all fractured, and the end result for us all will now be death. Our chapter concludes with God banishing Adam and Eve from the garden. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
After he drove the men out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. So once again, after reading this story from the Bible, what does this story tell us about God and about us? Does the Bible present God as being angry or unable to be in our presence or rejecting us? Does Genesis 3 emphasize that we are stained, despicable creatures, unworthy of God's love, deserving to die? I don't see this in the passage at all. I see the complete opposite. I see incredibly good news in the worst situation. Here is the gospel in the fall. The first amazing piece of good news in this story is Yahweh comes looking for his fallen children. Yahweh knows Adam and Eve had di have disobeyed him. He knows everything. And instead of blasting a pointed finger from the clouds or angrily barging in to punish them, this is what we get. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Yahweh knows where they are. His question is an invitation to come out into the open, to be in relationship with him. He doesn't come with condemnation. He comes with questions, with openness to talk. And this is exactly what Jesus talks about in his parable of the lost sheep. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Yahweh is the good shepherd. He comes down to earth to search for his lost children. The second piece of good news in this story is, Yahweh has a plan to restore Shalom. On the day, the very day that Shalom is broken on earth, Yahweh already has a plan to restore it. And you might have missed it before, but listen again to what Yahweh says to the serpent. And I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To be clear here, the snake is not an ordinary snake. It can't be. I don't think Yahweh is cursing an actual snake. This snake is evil personified. It's a creature of chaos. In Genesis 1, God started with creation and chaos and he brought order and interconnection to it. This creature is chaos trying to reinsert itself into God's good creation. And Adam and Eve opened the door for it to come back in. So now this is our ongoing battle. We humans are constantly fighting against the chaos and evil in our world. We all experience this hostility. But this verse prophesies that one day an offspring of Eve will finally put an end to Satan, an end to suffering, and an end to all evil. We now know that that offspring is Jesus, and the serpent's head he crushed was Satan. It was not an easy victory for Jesus. He suffered the same wound as Satan, death. But a bite on the heel may seem tame, but the venom of the snake acts quickly to stop the victim's heart. Both will die in battle, but one will pass through death and will overcome it. And this is what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. He changed the world forever on that day. The New Testament writers understood that truth and they communicated the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. The author of Hebrews writes this, Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 
When Adam and Eve first sinned, Yahweh did not abandon humanity to a state of perpetual evil and chaos. He promised a way out, a victory that would see Eve's offspring take on suffering, evil, and death, and ultimately defeat it. In the fall, Yahweh already had a plan to restore Shalom. What other good news do we see in the fall? We see that Yahweh provides for us. Even though the ground we now work is cursed, it is not fruitless. No, it's still bountiful. Yahweh is still a generous God. We read, You will eat food from it all the days of your life, and you will eat the plants of the field. God is still generous with us and gives us everything we need to continue to somehow flourish in this cursed and broken world that we introduced. Well, a fourth piece of good news in this story is truly remarkable to me. At our lowest moment, Yahweh clothes us. Verse 21 reads, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Think about how personal and intimate that is. Does this sound like an angry, vengeful, judgmental God? No, this is overwhelming grace. This is a father looking after his kids. In their shame, Adam and Eve made clothes out of leaves, not very practical. Yahweh made better clothes for them to keep them warm and to cover their shame. Yahweh doesn't make them wallow in their shamefulness. He doesn't rub it in their faces. He helps them deal with their brokenness. Obviously, this is just a temporary solution. We still wear clothes and we do things to deal with our shame, but it's still festering there inside of us. Yahweh does the best he can do for them in that moment, knowing that Jesus will one day fully take our shame away when Shalom is completely restored in the next life. So we have a God who comes looking for us, who has a plan to restore Shalom, who provides for us, and who clothes us. That's amazing, right? But it doesn't even stop there. We also have a God who protects us. When it comes time to banish Adam and Eve from the garden, it's not like what we saw in The Simpsons or the Gospel tract. Instead, Yahweh banishes us from the garden to protect us. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. If we had stayed in the garden eating from the tree of life, we would have stayed in an eternal state of damnation. Pastor Daryl Johnson writes this, God is protecting us from horrible judgment. God does not want us to go on living in independence in our, in our fallen state. God does not want humans to live forever in alienation from him, from ourselves, from others, and from the earth. So he guards the way to the tree of life. Grace is outrunning the avalanche of sin. Yahweh is surprisingly gracious and kind in Genesis 3. He's not at all like we imagine he should be. And all this love and grace that he's given to Adam and Eve, give them hope. And we read in verse 20 that Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Adam and Eve had not given up. They will go out into the world and try their best to live into the calling that Yahweh gave them, to be fruitful and multiply, to take care of creation and bless it. Instead of focusing on their certain death, they fix their eyes on the life Yahweh has blessed them with. Well, at the lowest point in humanity's history, Yahweh brings good news. And that same good news is there for us today in our lowest points. Yahweh speaks over all of us wherever we are at, whatever we have done, whatever has been done to us. 
I am with you. I have a plan to restore you. And in the meantime, I will provide for you, I will clothe you, and I will protect you. May you hear these words of good news today, and may they give you the hope and courage that you need to go out and live as Yahweh calls you to, to join Him in the work of restoring shalom and life in His creation. Amen. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you all on Sunday for our time of worship and discussion and prayer. And uh, I've got a few questions for us to reflect on, and hopefully we'll have some discussion around some of these questions. The first question that I have for you are, is, uh, what questions came up for you from the sermon or from reading Genesis 3? Um, you know, there might have been some stuff in my sermon that didn't make sense to you, or it was the first time you've heard this before. So I'm curious to know what questions might have uh, come up for you. Or, um, if as you've been reading through Genesis 3, what are some things that maybe I didn't talk about that you have questions about, or are still things that are just not I didn't quite make clear enough in my sermon? I'd love to know what those questions are. Uh, number two, what mistruths do you have a hard time shaking about God or about yourself? At uh, the beginning of Genesis 3 there, we see that Eve has a lot of mistru- mistruths about the, the command that God had given her. She'd, been hurt, she'd heard this command, but over time had changed it in her mind or forgotten it or just twisted the truth a bit. And also, when you look at like stories like The Simpsons or that gospel tract, they've um, twisted the truth in some ways, un- unknowingly probably, just uh, um, from what the gospel originally says. So what are some mistruths that you might have a hard time shaking about God or about yourself? And third question that I have is, what broken relationship do you need Jesus to restore today? And I looked at four different main relationships that we have, that we had in, in the garden, our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, our relationship with creation, and our relationship with ourself. So um, of those things, what, what broken relationship do you need Jesus to restore today? So I hope that uh, you have a great time reflecting on these questions and praying over the next few days in, uh, in preparation for our service on Sunday. Looking forward to discussing these things with you and worshiping our God together. Bless you all and see you on Sunday.